So if you have a Bible, we're going to be in the book of Jude today, which is a tiny little book uh, at right near the end. But if you just use your app, it's a lot easier to find. Uh, in case you weren't here last week, Jude is a book in the Bible that's actually written by... Oh, let me explain this. Each week during Jude, I uh, am kind of indulging myself with my desire to be in a band. And uh, that will never happen unless it's like a really bad indie band. So each week, the sermon titles will be possible names for indie bands. Uh, plus, uh, so I thought Hidden Reefs would be good. It kind of is almost Hidden Reefers, which would be a better band name that I would not be in, but uh, uh, that it seems like I know people that would buy these CDs, so, or they don't buy CDs anymore, do they? Uh, download this music illegally. Uh, so <laughs> Jude is a, uh, the brother of Jesus, and he uh, is also the brother, Jesus' other brother, James, was kind of the leader of the early church in the city of Jerusalem, which is where the, the very early church started. And Jude writes this letter that he writes, and it's very, very short, very concise, um, but very um, to the point as well. It's not very like flowery language and that kind of stuff. He doesn't go on and on as if he's doing a speech and needs to fill his time. There's no chapters in the book. So like if you know how the Bible works, the big numbers are chapters and the small numbers write our verses. Jude just has verses, just small numbers, and it's nice and short. You could read the whole thing uh, like during the sermon and probably three times and uh, you'd be uh, totally fine. So we're going to go through the book of uh, verses 18 to, or sorry, 8 to 13 today, and uh, then we'll continue on and do this. It's week two of five weeks. Today is really kind of a part two to last week, and so uh, we'll spend just a second for people that missed it last week going through what antinomian Gnosticism is, just so that you can catch everything and use that word in regular conversation. So can we pray first, and, uh, and then we'll actually get into the, the Scripture. Lord, we would ask that you would um, open our hearts to what you would have for us to say, to hear today, and we'd be able to hear uh, your voice speaking to us. It is our desire, Lord, not just to know things or learn things, but actually be transformed through your word, to be changed because of our encounter with you, and to grow in the, uh, as we try to live in the likeness of, of Jesus, your son. Uh, God, thank you for this opportunity to study your word as a group together, and we pray that you would be blessed in it. Amen. All right. So, there's these uh, teachers that came into the very early church, and they were teaching things that were outside of what the gospel is. And uh, those two kind of parts that they were teaching have big theological words for them. And the first one is Gnosticism, and Gnosticism would be this teaching. If you're in a life group, you know all about this already because you spent hours this week talking about it. But uh, if Gnosticism is this belief that like the upper realm is good and the lower realm or the physical realm is, is inherently bad. So like your knowledge and your thoughts and your spiritual life is all good, and then the actual created order, including your body, is all inherently bad. And, and this actually rails against Christianity uh, because of Jesus' incarnation. Jesus actually believes that you, the whole of you, including your physicality, is actually uh, worth redemption and, and part of creation and bears the image of God and so is inherently good. And is it, the badness in the world is actually a brokenness from what is originally supposed to be there. Gnosticism would say the brokenness is the correct expression of the evil material world. This is an early uh, heresy that was 
kind of trying to edge its way into Christianity, where Christianity or following Jesus would be this uh, uh, knowledge-based thing that just existed in our heads, and we just would assent to things, like mentally say, yes, Jesus is Lord, and yes, this, and yes, that, but live however we want it, which parallels really quickly with what's known as antinomianism. And uh, you can Google how to spell that, but, and the key to saying it is go fast. But uh, the antinomianism is to actually believe that when Jesus came, he said he fulfilled the law, and so we don't follow what in the law in the Old Testament is uh, ritual or ceremonial or religious laws. That's why we don't offer sacrifices at the temple in Jerusalem anymore. Uh, not just because it's not there. Even if it was there, we wouldn't go and do that because we believe Jesus fulfilled what that was pointing towards. Antinomianists would actually, or an antinomian person, uh, I don't think antinomianists is a thing, but antinomian person actually ignores the moral law as well to say now that Jesus has fulfilled the law, we can live however we want to live, which if you actually listen to the teachings and the life of Jesus is not what Jesus taught is not following Jesus at all. The antinomian way of thinking is that you say, I raised my hand when I was in kindergarten or fourth grade or something, and I said the prayer, and so I'm in. I know I get to go to heaven. Now I can live like hell and still go to heaven because God's grace will just take care of all of that or something like this. Romans 6 rails against this. These are very early bad teachings. The problem is there were leaders coming into the church who were teaching these very things. And uh, Jude um, goes off on them last week, actually talking about how horrid they are. And this week, um, he starts getting rather specific. And you can tell he is uh, a little bit angry about what's going on. And so we're going to read all the way through this and then talk through it in parts. But you might be able to see um, an increasing rate of ranting going on as Jude is writing uh, before he gets, like, he just kind of goes off, and he's going to go off for several weeks on people who are leading people, who are pretending to lead them to God and actually leading them away from God, which might be uh, the primary or the best form of evil that exists in the world, is leading people away from what's true to something that's almost true. So uh, that's we're going to do verse 8 to 13, and it'll be on the screen uh, so you can follow along. So when he says these people as well, so you know, uh, th that's referring to these teachers who are coming into the church with uh, perversion teach in their teaching that was leading people astray. <clears throat> so, yet, in like manner, these people also, relying on their dreams, defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. So those three things. But when the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, uh, the Bible says slanderous judgment, but said, the Lord rebuke you. But these people blaspheme all that they do not understand, and they are destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. Woe to them! For they walked in the way of Cain, <clears throat> and abandoned themselves for the sake of gain, to Balaam's error, and perished in Korah's rebellion, which we'll talk about what those are in a second. These are hidden reefs at your love feasts, as they feast with you without fear, shepherds feeding themselves, waterless clouds left along by the winds, fruitless trees in late autumn, twice dead, uprooted, wild waves of the sea, casting up the foam of their own shame, 
wandering stars for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. You can see him. This is basically Jude just going off on these false teachers. And he details in the beginning what these false teachers are doing. Uh, In verse 8, you see these three things. They defile the flesh, meaning, uh, and if you read ahead, this is actually like a sexual perversion that they were doing, defiling people's bodies and their own body. They were rejecting authority and blaspheming the glorious ones. That rejecting authority and blaspheming the glorious ones. The glorious ones, so you understand, in Jude's uh, worldview, that's a word they would have used for angels. And their tradition or their understanding of how things happen was that when Moses received the law from God, it was angels who delivered it. And, uh, and angels, and this is kind of ex- not really biblical, but it was kind of their tradition, all right? And so, uh, but they would believe that how it got from here to here was angels carried these things or brought these things. And then angels were kind of in charge of watching over how things were going as far as people following and obeying the law. And so when a person wouldn't follow and obey the law for them culturally, they weren't just ignoring the law, uh, which would be the Torah, the Old Testament, which Orthodox Jews follow to this day. They were not just ignoring that, but they were slandering or blaspheming, which is to speak ill of, uh, actually blaspheming angels at the same time because the angels were the ones who brought it and were in charge of overseeing it. And so these false teachers, these not just bad teachers, but actually teachers that were making things bad for everyone else, were actually uh, sexually immoral and they were rejecting any authority, that, and not just a structural authority as far as people who had responsibility for them, uh, but also rejecting the authority of the Scripture. And by doing that, they were rejecting the authority of the angels who, in their tradition, was understood to have brought the law to the people. And so these teachers were teaching things that weren't just wrong or weren't just bad, but they were actually reaching to the point where Jude would use a word like blasphemy or slander against the very people who were the leaders leading people along. If that doesn't, like if you're young and you're in here, because I know the junior hires are in here this week, if you're thinking someday maybe I'll be a pastor, this should be terrifying. Because as, as a leader, or if you have children and you lead your children and you're bringing them up to know Jesus, Error in like passing on error to someone else isn't just as bad as having the error. It's like uh, exponentially worse. And I don't mean accidentally. This is intentional, right? Like it's not like maybe accidentally you tell your kids something bad about Noah's Ark. Jesus is okay. He can handle that, all right? But if you intentionally teach others things that you know to not be true and you know to not be correct, the severity of anger that that draws out of God is, it rises really, really quickly. It's one of those things where when we see, um, well, if you watch the new John Oliver show and he's been picking on televangelists and he started his own church, if you saw that, it's quite hilarious. Uh, I encourage you not to watch that because it's probably too crass for you. But there is a a televangelist asked for seed money. And so John Oliver started his own church. He has a TV show and asked for seed money. And people started mailing him bags of actual grass seed, 
which is fantastic and, and made me want to mail actual grass seed to some of these televangelists. But anyways, uh, when we see someone taking advantage of other people or using the gospel in that way to lead people down a road that isn't true, it upsets me, it upsets us, it's upsetting when we see that happen. When we get angry, you can know that your anger is only a pale shadow compared to the anger that God feels in those situations. If you wonder, where is God? God is fuming, and he's over there uh, getting very, very angry and preparing some things for them that we'll talk about in a little bit. And I'm not saying all televangelists are bad, blah, 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 blah. You get that, all right? Um, This is where Jude actually points from this. He says, when the archangel Michael... And this is also more of a tradition. It's from a book uh, called The Testament of Moses, and it quotes it. Uh, this part we still have, like, or it's called The Assumption of Moses. And The Assumption of Moses is this ancient book that was written down, and it's a story to explain things. It's not a biblically inspired book. And we have bits and pieces of it, but we don't have this piece. Apparently, maybe someday archaeologists will find it. But when Moses died, apparently their tradition was to believe that Michael, the archangel, and there were three angels named in the Bible, if you understand it, two that are still in heaven and then Satan or Lucifer, but there's like Michael and Gabriel. Michael is kind of the battle angel, and uh, so he's obviously your favorite, and then Gabriel is the messenger angel, and it's like, thanks for bringing a message, right? Like, where's Michael? Because he's the hero, but anyways, uh, not to slander Gabriel, but he's kind of a boring angel, the uh, um, when I know I get into heaven and I know I'm going to meet these guys someday and I'm going to be like, oh, do you have a message for me? Like, I, I, you know, and then Michael will probably pound me and it'll be kind of funny. It'll hurt, but be funny because there's no pain in heaven. But anyways, <laughs> that was an aside, huh? So Michael the archangel apparently uh, goes to take the body of Moses and he moves it to a gravesite so that they don't revere a place or start worshiping Moses. And being a people, like all the people of the Promised Land came out of the country of Egypt. In the country of Egypt, when your leader died, they had very specific rituals as far as mummification. And, and the Israelites lived there 400 years, and they would have naturally thought that that's the correct way to treat your leader when he dies. We should build a monument go to that monument and, and give him things to help him pass through to get to the glorious afterlife or something like this would have been their natural way of thinking after 400 years of living in that culture. But in order to free them from that, Moses dies and we actually don't know where he was buried. We don't know uh, where his body is, nothing, because that was what was best for the Israelite people. And so there's this argument that apparently happens where Satan thinks he should be able to have Moses because Moses murdered someone when he was in Egypt. And Michael, the archangel, he is fighting against Lucifer, the devil, for the body of Moses. And it actually says that Moses, or, sorry, Michael did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous or slanderous judgment, but he said, the Lord rebuke you. And there are some arguments over whether he was judging Satan, as far as saying, Satan, you have no right to this, or whether he was judging Moses, because Moses would require the forgiveness of God for his murder that he committed while he was in Egypt. And he probably has a whole bunch of other sins that we don't have to go over, but this is the big one, right? Either way, what happens here is that Michael, even though he's an angel, and we believe, or their tradition believed, that the angels were the deliverers and the overseers of the law, 
they still submitted themselves to God's authority. And what the reason that Satan is Satan is because he does not submit himself to God's authority. And the comparison of these evil leaders to Satan is about as insulting as you can get in their culture. And it says, just like Satan didn't respect authority, these false teachers don't respect authority. And these false teachers are on the same level as Satan or as the devil. And he says they blaspheme or they slander, this is verse 10, all that they don't understand. So if they don't understand it, it's wrong. It's, if you can't prove it, it must be wrong. This is like the new atheism of today. And they are all destroyed by that that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. If you can read into this, Jude is running away from political correctness. He's comparing these false teachers. He's saying, here's the things they do that are evil as far as sexual immorality and a lack of respect for the law and a lack of respect for God's authority. And then he compares them to Satan and unreasonable animals that just go and do whatever they think they want to do. This isn't how you uh, treat people if you want to win them over. He's not trying to win them over. He is completely and utterly condemning them and just throwing these things out in the most offensive way that he can possibly think of. And you think, wow, okay, that was a little bit aggressive, Jude. Let's back that up. And Jude is just getting going. This is why we like Jude. Verse 11 starts with this, woe to them which is a prophetic announcement which uh, bears down terror on the other person. Uh, woe to them means this is going to go bad for you. And a, and a prophetic woe would say, here's what you did, and because of that, here's what's going to happen to you. So woe to them, for they walked in the way of Cain and abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error and perished in Korah's rebellion. And for those three things, for us, means almost nothing. But for Jude in his culture at the time, these are three examples of people who sin that they would have gone to right away, like ding, ding, ding. Just like we would say evil people in the world and write down three evil people, you'd write down, a lot of us would write down the same people, right? We'd write down things like Saddam Hussein or Hitler and those kind. We know who those people are. They would say, we know who the sinners are, and Cain, Balaam, Korah. Cain was... Uh, the brother of Abel, and they actually, and he actually uh, uh, was the. They were sorry, the children of Adam and Eve, and Cain, uh, his offered a sacrifice to God, and it didn't work out for him because he was a sinner, and he was instructive towards other people sinning, and he ends up being a murderer very, very early, and uh, like he was the first murderer, and God actually expels him, and and so Cain is uh, a murderer. Balaam was a prophet who, or like a preacher who would preach specific things if you paid him the right amount. This is um, the worst kind of preacher around. Would you preach this against these people if we paid you enough? Or would you preach this over here against these people if we paid you enough? It's so evil, no one's even offered this to me, right? Like, and, and I probably have lower prices than Balaam, but uh, I will preach against things. Like, it's just... When we hear about these kinds of things in public life, like uh, people saying something because of a, a donor giving that, like we see this in politics, right? Like someone changes their position because the millions of dollars that they received, they changed their position on things. This, in a, for a Christian or a, a people of God, a Jewish re religious leader, is even more evil than what Cain did, which is murder. 
And then, then they perished in Korah's rebellion. And there's a progression here in Korah. Like, this isn't a time progression. This is just a progression. And if you look at they walked in the way of Cain, or they just walked, but then they abandoned themselves for Balaam, and then they perished. So it's like they went a certain way, they gave up, and then they actually die in Korah's rebellion. And you can see Cain is kind of, he does murder, but then Balaam, uh, he, Cain's sin was kind of instructive for other people as well. And then uh, Balaam actually does ministry for self-benefit. And then uh, Korah, if you don't know the story, Korah led a rebellion against Moses. He didn't think that Moses and Aaron were all that hot stuff. And Moses, as a good leader of God, says, well, I'm not going to defend myself. Instead, you bring all the people who are against me, and we'll see how that goes. And uh, the earth actually opens up and swallows them and then closes back up, and it's kind of fantastic. And you see Moses drop the mic and walk away, right? But it is, uh, it's this, Korah leads this rebellion where 250 leaders, and Korah was already a leader, he just wasn't the primary leader, all right? And you, and you think this is like, we think this is just stuff that happened a long time ago, and it's not. I can tell you about churches that my friends have pastored where there were people who were leaders who weren't the primary leader, and they got mad about it, and so they attacked the primary leader. And then you see that church side with the person who's attacking, and usually because I have a lot of friends that are pastors, the pastor ends up leaving because his family just can't take the slander anymore because God won't open up the earth and swallow these people. And if you know a pastor who is in a frustrated situation, don't tell me they aren't praying that. <laughs> and so are you. But this isn't like a prayer just for pastors. When you drive down I-5 and the person in front of you is going too slow, this is the same prayer you do, right? I wish the earth would open up and swallow you so that I can get to where I'm going three seconds earlier. Uh, but like we think Moses is a bad guy, and, and no, it's you. But anyways, the uh, when... These things, like these aren't things that happened a long time ago. These are things that happen all the time as far as leading rebellions against the authority of God or being jealous of another person's ministry or gifts or talents or, or doing things in God's name for your own benefit. They happen all the time. And they happen in situations that you might look at and say, that's a fantastic thing that's going on over there. And we have to, in these cases, go back to the example of Michael the archangel and say we do not pronounce judgment on you. Instead, we back up in case the earth opens up and swallows you. <laughs> we'll give you some space because this is what we believe about you. But we don't get to condemn people to this. Like we don't get to speak ill. This way I'm not giving you like specific examples of churches that have ran pastors out or pastors that are doing it just for their own personal gain. I don't get, those are my perceptions of the situation. And what I do isn't judge them. I actually, but I don't do nothing either. <laughs> I back up in case God's having a bad day and the earth opens up and swallows them. Which I've never seen happen, but I have seen metaphorically happen. When... <laughs> those when everything just kind of falls apart as this progression goes on what we end up seeing uh, well then it goes like that then 
Okay, so we had Jude get mad and we said, okay, Jude, that's enough. Then he did this woe thing and he says they are just as bad as the prototypical, like the archetype of uh, sinners that we have. And we think, okay, Jude, now we've compared them to Satan, compared them to bad animals, compared them to the worst sinners that we have in our culture. Now Jude goes even a step further. And uh, this is uh, where Jude gets kind of, he just starts ranting. He says, these are hidden reefs at your love fests. And their love fest would be like communal meals that sometimes the early church called love fest, which we're not going to hold an event ever called love fest, all right, or love feast, sorry. That's just not going to happen. You can hold that with your spouse and that's it And uh, in our culture. But these hidden reefs would be like, the word means like rocks below the surface as you're, and for the people whose best way of travel or fastest way of travel would be by ship, uh, across the Mediterranean Sea, the rocks that were just under the surface are the dangerous ones. The ones that are poking out and you can see aren't dangerous because you can avoid them. The ones that are just under the surface are the dangerous ones. And so these teachers are just under the surface. Like they look a lot like what's good, but just under the surface, it will destroy you. But he says, these are hidden reefs at your love fest, uh, feasts. Sorry, as they feast with you without fear. Shepherds feeding themselves, meaning a people who have a responsibility for sheep, and shepherds would be the, one of the metaphors they use for Christian leaders. A shepherd who takes care of himself and doesn't take care of his sheep. Waterless clouds swept along by the winds. And we would understand this frustration when we had all those forest fires and we wanted rain and some places didn't get rains. Those people would be cursing the clouds for teasing them fruitless trees in autumn, twice dead, uprooted. So not just a useless tree, but a tree that's falling over. Wild waves of the sea, casting up the foam of their own shame. So like all the uh, refuse and all the junk that would be coming up in the sea, uh, it would be just by these wild waves. And then, um, then it says, up the foam of their own shame. And then wandering stars, which all by itself, and that word stars is probably better translated as planets. That's the word that's used there, like a wandering star for them was a planet. And they didn't like have a GPS on their boat, so they used a lot of stars to navigate. And a planet, they actually hated planets because they would be irregular in the sky and you could get confused if you weren't an experienced navigator and there was a bright planet, then maybe you think that's a star that is a different star and you end up driving your boat the wrong way and the, wonder, and the planets just move all over the sky when the stars stay where they're supposed to go. It says all these things, like he just starts pulling out examples, pulling out examples, pulling out examples. All these people are terrible. And he actually points to, at the end, for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. For whom the utter utter gloom of darkness has been reserved forever. Meaning these people not just are compared to Satan and not just are compared to like animals that are unreasoning, not just are compared to uh, the worst sinners our culture has to offer, but there are all these examples of bad things in nature that we hate, trees that don't give us any food and clouds that don't give us any rain and all that. Like, and not just all that, but they're actually condemned to an utter eternal darkness. The destiny of these teachers who are leading people away from God with something that looks remarkably like the ways and the teachings of Jesus, but isn't, the destiny of these people is a rather particular place in hell and a particular kind of suffering and, and, 
and engagement with loneliness and darkness and eternal eternity. Jude, if you can tell, is pulling out like all the fire and brimstone that he can possibly pull out in this section of the letter over something that for a lot of us we would go, eh. Because we live in this religiously plural landscape and there's all sorts of different religions and there's many religions that look remarkably like Christianity and we think, eh. The reaction that Jude has is a violent reaction against those teachers. And then he's going to go in, in a couple of weeks we'll talk about the, how Jude tells them, so persevere, so don't give up, so stick with Jesus. But the anger that he pushes against the things that we have in our own culture, in our own churches, in our own lives today, is pretty remarkable. And this is why Jude doesn't normally get preached, so you know. There's no verse like, oh, God loves you, or oh, it's all going to be cool, or God's going to make you, you send me some seed money and I'll send you more money back. It's hard to find those verses in Jude. Because it presents an aggressive and confrontive truth to our lives. And so the reaction that we have is either one of like fear and pulling back, or we just engage it and say, okay, I need to figure out how to live into this. And we have to be wise as far as understanding who the leaders are who get to speak into our lives. That's an easy application here in understanding, not just allowing any philosophy or any uh, way of following Jesus to be in our lives. But you also have to start asking how is it that these people were falling apart and leading lives that went the wrong direction? And we talked last week about their utter lack of respect for the Word of God and the illiteracy, biblical illiteracy that plagues churches today that where people like, you love Jesus, but you have no clue what the Bible says. You get most of your theology from Facebook and YouTube videos, but you, don't, you couldn't find Jude <laughs> it's all right, nobody can, it's so dang tiny. But there is this, like, there is a lack of engagement with our scripture that shouldn't surprise us then when we end up with religious and theological understandings which are contrary to what the scripture actually teaches. But then beyond that, we see in these teachers, what Jude is going off about here is that they look a lot like what you're supposed to look like on the surface. The clouds look like clouds. The shepherds really are shepherds. The water looks passable, and you can't see the rocks that are just underneath. I bet most of us here, um, if you have a smartphone, and you're like me, you, start, you track the things you do. I have an app that tracks how much weight I lift in the gym. It's a lot. And... Uh, it tracks how far I go on the uh, reclining bicycle with the TV. It's not very much. <laughs> I have an app that tracks how many calories go into my body, how many steps I take, how far I run. I have an app to make sure that I look as good as I should look. I'm sucking in now because the apps don't work that well. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> But we track a lot of things. Probably at work, you track 
your progress or you track profits or you track uh, margins or you track performances. And when you talk to people about how is your spiritual life going, like how are you growing spiritually, you have no idea. Like you have no, oh, I'm not sure. I had a friend when I was younger uh, who actually, we, would, we worked together and he was a strong believer, still is, and we would get together and we're talking, so how's your day going, blah, 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 and he would go, I had the best quiet time this morning. And I had never thought that way before. Quiet time, if you're not a Christian, is a lot of Christians spend some time, like a little bit of time or a lot of time in the morning reading scripture, praying, those kinds of things, starting your day off the way you want to start it off, you know? And so I would do that, and I would do it, and I would check the box and be like, sweet, I had a quiet time. I can brag about actually having a quiet time, That's, and that would be the level of bragging uh, that I would do. I went to a Christian college, so you had to brag about this stuff. Uh, and my friend, would be, he would come in, and he'd say, oh, my quiet time sucked this morning. I'm like, I have no idea what that is. But he had a way of understanding how his spiritual life was actually going. You have all sorts of ways that you can grow spiritually. You grow spiritually by serving, reading your scripture, praying, making decisions that are in line with the scripture, uh, solitude, spending time alone with God, uh, community, spending time with the people of God together. All sorts of ways. And probably some of the things, when I say those, are like, or some people grow, sorry, when they're in nature or like with an exposure to that. And some of these things are actually probably really good for you and some are not so good. I can just honestly tell you, I grow spiritually when I read the Scripture. I read a lot of Scripture. I read books about reading Scripture. <laughs> like it is, I love the Bible. And I read things in the Bible and I need to talk about it with someone. And so my wife ends up suffering through that because I have to explain that the word for light and darkness and separate in Genesis 1-1 doesn't appear anywhere else in the Scripture. And she goes, that's wonderful. You know, like it's... <laughs> When, but that's how I grow. And so I, have, I actually track my Bible reading. I'm reading through Old Testament prophets in chronological order right now, and I'm in Joel right now, and, and uh, then I'll move on. I'm near the end. I'm past some things, but there is, uh, I read that. On the other hand, like prayer for me, and I know I'm not supposed to tell you this because I'm your pastor, prayer for me, I don't feel like I'm growing leaps and bounds when I pray. I have had seasons in my life where I pray, and I wonder... If anyone is even on the, like I'm on, on the phone and it's cut off, but I don't know, I just keep going, uh, and I have that feeling. And so I actually, and you might think this is stupid, but I actually have read books and gone to good pastors and said, how do you pray and how does that work? Because I know this is a tracking area of my life that if I don't follow it, it'll just, I'll leave it, and I won't notice that under the surface, things are falling apart. Because I'll be able to go around and talk about random verses like, oh, so you're preaching through Judges, huh? What are you going to do in chapter 2 and 3? Because those are radical, you know? And, and uh, you know, I'm, you don't know it's in Judges 2 and 3, so that makes me look really smart. But, uh, and so I can feel like I'm growing and I'm being aggressive spiritually when I can, in the background, have this hidden danger of a weak, inept prayer life, which is, it's like a rock just below the surface, and when I hit it, and I go, oh, Lord, and all of a sudden cry out in prayer, right? So we have areas where we grow naturally. Some of us, it's being out in nature. Some of us, it's being with other people. And I would actually encourage you, and you might think this is stupid, but I would actually encourage you to look 
at your spiritual life and set goals for yourself and track yourself and say, how am I actually doing? And how do I grow spiritually? How do I grow in my faith and my trust in Jesus? And am I doing those things? And then what are the things that I would love to just neglect? Like I love to exercise, but I don't like counting the calories. So I'm just going to exercise and not care about what I eat. I've learned that doesn't work. (laughs) I've learned things about managing my outward appearance. And we need to learn things about managing our own spiritual growth. Because it doesn't just happen by accident. Those people who you look up to or you have relationships with and you're like, man, it seems like they know Jesus or they know God, like they talk to him for real. Those people have put in years and hours in those years of time building that relationship. In the same way you see older married people who seem to just know each other, and you see older married people who seem to be complete strangers. Those, both those people have the appearance of the same relationship, just like You can have a person who's been a Christian for 40 or 50 years and another person who's been a Christian for 40 or 50 years and you look at them and their lives are completely different because one has ignored their spiritual development or ignored their relationship with Jesus and one has engaged it. And one has had honest conversations with themselves and with God about that. It's the weirdest thing in the world from experience to sit down and pray to God that you would be better at praying. But I feel like it's one of those prayers that God actually enjoys answering. Like, hey God, I'm talking to you. This feels awkward. And God's like, yes, it does. <laughs> so let's work on that. <laughs> or when you're, if you're not a reader and you know if you don't read Scripture, you're going to have this hidden rock underneath the surface that's going to trip you up, a hidden reef. And so you sit down and say, God, I'm going to read this. I don't know what it says, but I'm going to do it anyways. And you read a tiny little book like Jude, and you read it every day for the next year, and you think, all right, I've grown. I've grown spiritually this much, but I've grown. And you've managed to knock out a little bit of a hidden reef, and your waterless clouds will begin to rain, and your tree of your life will begin to bear fruit. See, I really honestly think that this is actually like a practical message to us, not just a watch out for bad teachers message, but a message about the reason that they're bad teachers is because there's things just under the surface that they haven't taken care of. And I would bet that most of us, there's things just under the surface that are really, really dangerous in our lives. Little things that we manage to keep hidden or that maybe we don't even have the awareness of that we need other people to speak into our lives and say, hey, maybe this is a growth area for you. Those little things will trip us up. And instead of condemning people that are apart or that are obviously leading lives going the wrong direction, instead of condemning them, we look at them and say, that's me if I don't take care of this. That's what I think about when I talk to people who don't have strong prayer lives I don't want to become like those people. That's judgmental of me, but it's, I do not want to become like those people. And so I 
intentionally, if you know me, I actually have a spreadsheet. This is the biggest loser thing I've ever told you, but I have a spreadsheet that tracks spiritual things that I do so that I can make sure that I'm doing those things. And they have big gaps of blank spaces. I go, hey, maybe that's why I'm not growing spiritually, dummy. You know, like, it, it is, I encourage you not to do a spreadsheet. It, you're a big loser if you do, but if you're a loser, just engage it. The, <laughs> but there is, a, there is, like there is not a depth of spirituality that's going to happen in your life by accident. You're not going to drift into being the kind of Christian and the kind of person that God wants you to be. Just like you don't ride the couch and play video games into physical fitness, <laughs> you don't ride the couch and play video games spiritually and end up where you could be. You could actually have an engaging spiritual life that over the decades you end up being one of those people who actually know God, like know him. For some of us, we're already well into our lives and we might have a lot of catching up to do. For some of you who are here today, this might be a pattern or a development that built into your life that actually changed the direction of your life for the rest of history by being able to say, this is how I grow. Make sure I'm doing that. These are some areas that I don't seem to like to do at all, so I need to make sure I'm managing those things. And then actually watching God work in your life in a way that keeps you from those hidden reefs, that keeps you from the dangers that are just below the surface. So we're going to pray together, and I would imagine that this would be a time that you should pray specifically for yourself and and maybe ask God to reveal those things to you. And maybe you need to like schedule a time to sit down. And maybe this is a good thing to do with your kids and your family. Or if you're married or if you're dating someone, that's a good thing to do together too. And say, this is what I like. And this is what I don't like. And, and I need to do both of those things. And how can I manage that? And how can you help me in that? And then we're going to worship God together. And uh, just because we really do believe that he like, wants to transform us. Not just change how we are on the outside and make us look good, but he actually wants to transform us so that what comes out of us actually grows out of a heart that actually knows God. So let's stand and we'll pray together. And while I'm praying and we're worshiping, if you need to spend some time just in prayer by yourself, that's 100% acceptable, encouraged, and uh, we would encourage that. And if you need to not sing and just pray or whatever you need, uh, this is kind of a space for us to have with God. So Let's bow our heads. Lord, we would uh, turn to you and ask for your grace in our lives in such a way that moves us into who you would have for us or who you would have us to be. I would bet, God, that like, just like me, all of us, when we do an honest look below the surface, there are things that are really dangerous in our lives that could trip us up. We tend to think of those dangerous things as things that are dangerous that will reveal that we're not who we seem to be on the surface. But deeper than that, Lord, there are things that would sink us, that would keep us from getting to where you want us to go. So God, together, we ask that you would give us hope, that you would give us guidance, that your mercy and grace would be evident in our lives in such a way that we'd be able to know you to the depths of who we are. To know you in a way 
God, that our strengths and our weaknesses are all guiding us into being a person who knows God in a face-to-face kind of way. We pray this by your grace and we worship you because of your promise to answer these prayers in the best way possible. Amen.